helping to helping make, to make you, you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. In the late 1700s, if you were to ask uh, Voltaire, George III, uh, or George Washington to name you a world-famous poet, they would likely mention the same person, one Phyllis Wheatley. She was America's first published black poet and the most famous African-American in the world at that time. Uh, Bridget Fielder uh, is an associate professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She joins us now to share 250 years of where uh, African-American literature history began uh, in celebration of the life and legacy of one Phyllis Wheatley. Uh, Professor Fielder, good to have you on the program. How are you today? Very good. Thank you very much. It's good to have you on. Um, Let me just start with this. I I was saying to some folk the other day in in conversation that uh, I believe that our lives really become our afterlives. Um, Our lives become our afterlives. I'll let that sit for a second. People can marinate on that. Um, But it leads me to ask this question. um, Why it is (laughs) that we are still talking about Phyllis Wheatley 250 years later? Um, well, I think that, uh, that question about afterlives is really, really great. Um, and the truth is, is that Wheatley's legacy carries on from her lifetime to the present, mm-hmm. particularly in the ways black people have attended to her and have found inspiration in her example. Um, and I think that in that, um, one of the things that I noticed is the way that we view Wheatley not simply as an exceptional figure in African-American literature and African-American history, but as an exemplar, as someone who shows us possibility. And that possibility, I think, is what gets carried forward in her afterlife. Give me more about uh, what you mean when you say, uh, when, you, when, you, when you put your finger, rather, on the ways in which black folk have attended to her. By that, you mean what exactly? Yeah, um, I mean, so there's a lot of discussion, I think, about someone like Wheatley being a forgotten poet. Um, and a lot of black figures, especially um, black women authors, for example, often talked about as uh, people who have been forgotten. And one question I think one could ask is forgotten by whom? Mm. And uh, with Wheatley's example, um, we see her as a very popular poet during her lifetime, as you discussed um, you know, the most, uh, one of the most prominent black writer of her day. Um, but we also see traces of her in um, African-American intellectual history from that moment up through the present. And so, you know, to give you a couple of examples of what I'm thinking about, um, I've been reading people writing about Phyllis Wheatley um, in a lot of different places, including in the African-American press, in black newspapers in the United States. And um, that's one place where we can see Wheatley's afterlives. Um, we see, for example, the first African-American newspaper, Freedom's Journal, um, writes about Wheatley in 1827 and republishes some of her poetry um, in the early 19th century. Um, we see um, people talking about her in Frederick Douglass's paper in 1855 and also um, reprinting some of her poems, some different poems. Um, we see her in um, journals, or in um, periodicals like the Christian Recorder, the official publication of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. People talking about Wheatley in different places in the 1880s. We see a biography of Phyllis Wheatley 
in the Brownies book in 1920. Um, this is a children's literary magazine um, uh, that comes out of the children's number of The Crisis, um, edited by W.E.B. Du Bois mm-hmm. and Jesse Fawcett. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see examples like this um, all over the place, uh, people attending to Wheatley, um, people thinking about reproducing biographies of her, reproducing mm-hmm. some of her poetry. Um, and I've been really interested in the way that she gets reproduced both in black popular culture and also in writing for children. Yep. Uh, we'll talk about black popular culture uh, in a second here. Um, uh, you, you said earlier that she's not just a writer, but um, you see her as an exemplar. An exemplar of what is my question? Um, I, I think in many ways an exemplar of, um, you know, black intellectualism you know, from a moment um, in which, you know, various enlightenment conversations about scientific racism um, dismissed black people um, and especially black women just out of hand, um, uh, pretending that they're not able to do things like write poems um, or, um, you know, have uh, um interesting intellectual conversations. Um, and even in that moment, we see examples of people who, you know, clearly are able to do that. And I think, um, you know, thinking about Wheatley um, necessitates not only thinking of her as someone who was probably a child prodigy, someone who may have, um, you know, been uh, a kind of literary genius in her moment, but also somebody who, um, you know, various people have talked about as, um, just kind of showing what um, black people are capable of mm-hmm. um, beyond just what Wheatley herself um, mm-hmm. is doing, but black people more generally. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have always um, regarded black artists and black creatives uh, as gatekeepers of truth. And historically, as you well know, you teach this stuff, there have been artists and other creatives been able to um, to be those gatekeepers of truth, to, uh, to tell truths that the rest of us couldn't tell, to say things that the rest of us couldn't say precisely because they are artists, because they are creators. Uh, uh, Wheatley fits, uh, I think, squarely into that frame. Um, and so I, I asked, what kind of truths w- was Phyllis Wheatley able to wrestle with in her work that other black folk at the time couldn't necessarily say? Yeah. Well, she's, um, you know, uh, in, in a particularly um, a particular position as somebody who wrote while she was still enslaved. Um, and so I think that, you know, in many ways, the, her writing um, looks uh, on slavery, for example, looks a little bit more subtle than that of people who are writing from positions of free people. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the things that she does that I think is, is, is really striking is really just to, um, you know, celebrate a kind of broader um, creative possibility and potential. And we, I, I think that um, her example of this um, uh, is one, but we might think of another poem of hers um, that uh, also kind of speaks to this. Um, one of my favorite poems by her is uh, 2SM, A Young African Painter on Seeing His Works in which she writes to another enslaved child who would have been a little bit younger than her, um, uh, someone named Scipio Moorhead, who was an enslaved person in uh, her community. And um, she celebrates his art. She thinks about them as inspiring one another in their different mediums. And um, 
uh, I think that, you know, that kind of shows us mm-hmm. something of, um, you know, black people's conversation with one another, yeah. um, black people's, uh, you know, um, creation, even when we don't have um, access to um, the things that they created, like we don't have any of Scipio Moorhead's art, but we have this poem that Phyllis Wheatley, uh, a slightly older child, wrote about him. Um, and I think she gives us, in, you know, in some ways, a window into yeah. um, that world, um, you know, in some examples. But, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of the ways people talk about her, I think, over the years are just in her example herself. Yeah. Um, so um, Mary Church Terrell, for example, a uh, black feminist writer writing in the late 19th century in the um, 1890s, writes that ever since a book was published in 1773 entitled Poems on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral by Phyllis Wheatley, colored women have given abundant evidence of literary ability. Um, and so tracing those threads um, of ability um, from this moment in which, um, you know, various people are questioning whether black people have um, ability for literature or art or intellectualism um, uh, is the kind of larger picture that yeah. I think we uh, No, I mean, I mean, cut you off. Um, I, I take that point. When when we come forward, though, I want I want to, I want to ask right quick here. Um, for those who don't know Phyllis Wheatley's backstory, how it is that a woman could be writing poetry while she's still enslaved? Um, in other words, how do we juxtapose what she was doing with the fact that it was illegal to read and write at that point? Uh, we're talking about celebrating Phyllis Wheatley 250 years later with Bridget Fielder. Uh, you're listening to Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. May first daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. It has been 250 years uh, of celebrating the, the work of Phyllis Wheatley. So, for those who don't know the backstory here, uh, Professor Fielder, um, how is it that a woman who uh, is enslaved uh, begins to, to to write poetry when reading and writing back then was illegal? So, um, I'll address a common misconception: um, uh, laws prohibiting uh, black people from uh, learning to read and write um, are not universal. Um, these uh, don't exist in every place and time mm-hmm. where there is uh, where there are people enslaved. And so there are actually um, examples of um, uh, black people who are enslaved but also are literate at various moments. So one example is um, Jupiter Hammond. Uh, another enslaved poet who lived around the same time as Wheatley, and he actually publishes a poetry and address to Miss Phyllis Wheatley in 1778. He's a little older than she is, and, and he's aware of her work, and he's writing poetry while she, he is still enslaved. Um, uh, you know, people in New England in the late um, 1800s didn't necessarily have the same um, concerns about um Black people uh, organizing, mm-hmm. passing information, escaping um, as uh, Southerners um, in uh, the antebellum period in the mid 1800s, for example. Um, and there are, you know, um, uh, petitions to allow um, Black people religious instruction, for example, mm-hmm. um, from uh, the 1700s that precede Wheatley. And so um, it's in that context. Yep that she gets um, uh, instruction in her enslaver's house. She's kidnapped when she's about seven or eight years old uh, from Senegambia, and she's brought to Boston, um, purchased by white enslavers, 
and um, she learns to read and write in their household. And one of the things that they notice about her is that um, she seems to learn very quickly. And so um, uh, for this reason, it seems too, um, that is, that is encouraged. The enslaver Wheatleys also get a little bit of social capital um, by being able to show um, the skills of this child that uh, they are holding captive. Um, And they uh, help to facilitate the publication of her book of poetry, which is published in London um, in in 1773. Mm -hmm. Um, What's interesting, I think, about this um, publication history is that Wheatley doesn't have the same support of um, uh, white subscribers for her poetry once she's free. And so um, these uh, people's interest in, um, you know, a, a potential child prodigy, an enslaved person who writes this beautiful poetry, um, fitting with the poetry of the day, don't carry their interest yeah, forward. When she's, yeah, when she's, yeah, when she's free. No, I, I hear your point. Um, when we come forward in our remaining moments uh, with uh, Professor uh, Bridget uh, Fielder, um, I want to... It's been a few moments just talking about what she teed up earlier, and that is the ways in which 250 years later, Phyllis Wheatley's work still shows up in black popular culture, in children's readings. We'll talk about that when we come forward on Tavis Smile. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. We've got three quick minutes left in this conversation uh, celebrating uh, Phyllis Wheatley 250 years later. Uh, and our guest is uh, Professor uh, Bridget Fielder, uh, Phyllis Wheatley, of course, uh, the first published black poet, and the most famous uh, African uh, in the world at that time. You suggested earlier, uh, Professor Fielder, that there are ways even still, uh, 250 years later, that her work shows up in popular culture and children's readings. Uh, you want to impact that for us right quick? Oh, um, so she is uh, been long uh, uh, an inspiration for poets. Um, since uh, Jupiter Hammond's poem um, about her during her lifetime, and especially black women poets. And so we see this in the mid-century of people like Margaret Walker Alexander, um, Naomi Long Magic, writing poets, uh, writing poems about her in the 1970s. Um, we see it in some recent poetry collections by people like Drea Brown, Alison Clark, Honoré Sonon Jeffers. Um, she is uh, uh, an inspiration also in um, a lot of children's literature um, we'll see her represented in biographies for children, in Black history for children, um, and also in kind of collective biographies, collections of famous Black people. Um, I would say Wheatley is the most heavily represented Black woman writer of any era in um, materials mm. for children. No, that's a that's 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 a high praise. Um, Let me close by asking um, 250 years later, uh, as one who has studied her work, obviously, uh, quite closely. What is her enduring legacy? I think her enduring legacy um, is a a fairly simple statement that um, needs somehow to be um, reiterated over and over and over. And that's that black people. Um, have a literature and a culture. She's often described as a foremother of sorts of African American literature, and um, you know her existence in this uh, you know moment before the founding of the nation kind of shows us 
that black literature is not a new phenomenon, that it reaches um, all the way back to the time of the founding of the nation, to mm-hmm. someone who you know, lived during the revolution, and we could carry that thread from Wheatley forward to the present. Bridget Fielder is um, associate professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and uh, I have delighted in her joining us to celebrate the great black poet, Phyllis Wheatley, 250 years later. Professor Fielder, good to have you on the program. All the best to you, and thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Smiley. Good to have you on this program. That's our show for today. Back here tomorrow, Lord willing to do it all over again. Uh, until then, thanks for tuning in to Tavis Smiley. And as always, keep the faith. <laughs>